Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Yeah, Generation BSC, our bi-weekly podcast discussing the Babysitter's Club, uh, our perspective as kids reading it when we were growing up, our perspective reading them now as adults, other people joining Generation BSC every you know week of the year. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, it's been a little while. Um, this is our first recording since before uh, the holidays. So if we're sounding a little weird, that is why we're getting back into the groove of things. And you know, we we thought it would be good to wait and record the book that we're talking about today because we thought we'll get a nice little break. We can recoup, recover, and then. Just last week on January 6th, we had, you know, a, an attempted coup. And so um, I'm not sure how that's going to feed into our conversation this week. But Lauren, why don't you tell us what book we're actually talking about? And we can kick the conversation off that way. Absolutely. So uh, Kate, you sort of hinted at it. And I, I will be just very blunt. We've been like doing everything in our power to avoid recording this podcast, basically, um, because we've been dreading this book since the very beginning. Today, we are talking about book number 26 in the series, Claudia and the Sad Goodbye. Um, this was released in July 1989, uh, written by Anne M. Martin. And um, this was always for me, uh, other than Claudia and the Phantom phone calls being, you know, my first and Kate, we all know your favorite. Um, um, but other than than those sort of big ones, this book has always been the one that really stood out to me as the gold standard of what the Babysitters Club could do. Um, and I will I'll lay my cards on the table right from the beginning. Uh, that opinion has not changed. I thought this was absolutely fantastic. Um, from start to finish, I really only have very, very minor, minor quibbles, um, and it, mostly that there are a couple things that seemed a little bit unrealistic around Claudia and Corey, which we'll get into. Mm -hmm. But that that even those sort of unrealistic things really, really worked thematically for me um, to the point where I, as as Kate intimated, we're there's a lot of grief happening. Um, living through a pandemic, going through the holidays in a very disjointed way, um, some personal stuff for both of us, the the state of the world in general. Um, and I'll, I'll oh boy, it was hard to read this one. I had to like set it down a couple of times to make it through. Um, what about you? Before we get into the back of the book and start our conversation, I'd love to hear just your overall thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I will say I I still think this is one of if not the best babysitters club book from like a story perspective and like a a teachable moment kind of perspective cuz the the stages of grief that we see Claudia go through I think is really important for kids who are mm -hmm. reading this who might have grandparents who are getting a little bit older and this might be something that they're going to have to face in the coming years. So I really, really appreciate the thoughtfulness that went into writing this book. Um, I will say I read this book on Thursday January 7th, the day <laughs> after um, the storming of the Capitol building. And I think I, I was sort of, I think, just like overwhelmed with feelings and emotions and feeling just like drained and burnt out. And so I kind of felt like Claudia reading this book. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll get into the emotions that she goes through, but as sort of just like an overview, when Mimi dies... Claudia is just very sort of detached and doesn't know how to feel and doesn't feel anything for the most part. And I think, not that I wanted anything that's happened over the last year to have happened, but I feel like I was able to approach this book with a much less emotional feeling or standpoint, which is sort of weird for me because I always am so heightened when it comes to emotions, especially when it comes to characters I know and love dying. And because I was already at an 11, I wasn't necessarily able to add anything on. So I think it it was really interesting for me to see Claudia feeling so detached and emotionless because I was also feeling detached and emotionless. And like, as you and I have discussed since the beginning of this podcast, like this is one of the books that I was dreading, that we were both dreading, like you said, because I knew how much I was going to feel. And so it was it was very weird for me to read this and sort of not feel anything. <laughs> I mean, looking back now with, you know, I guess, uh, what, a week plus out from the, when I actually read it, I'm feeling more emotional about it. But it 
yeah, it, it was just a very weird, weird feeling for me to read this book, not feeling anything. <laughs> That's really fascinating. I, and I that makes total sense because I certainly, ooh, well, I ran the gamut of emotion mm-hmm. that day on, on the 6th from just rage to such deep, profound sadness. And you're right, by, by Thursday, I was just kind of numb, um, mm-hmm. empty. I feel like I had gotten all my emotions out. Um, I did wait a little bit longer to read this, especially because my grandma, my mom's mom, is uh, not doing really well mm-hmm. and is, is experiencing um, actually a lot of the things that, that Mimi is. She doesn't, didn't have a stroke, but she does have dementia um, that has gotten worse. So for me, um, I think that was one of the reasons I had such a hard time with this one because when Mimi was having her experiences of confusion, it it just I wasn't seeing Mimi. I was seeing my grandma, mm-hmm. and um, and it's it's really fascinating to me that you know thirteen, thirty five. It, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've had those people in your life. Um, it it, it sucks. Mm-hmm. It, death is death is a bitch and. I, th- I really appreciated that they let Claudia go through that go through stages and really sort of and and not even just Claudia but like the other girls, the people in the school, and they really I, I, there was such care that Anne took to. Uh, I, I think one of the biggest messages and takeaways that that death hits everybody differently. Everybody mm-hmm. has a different reaction. All of those reactions are valid. Whatever you need to do to grieve is is okay and acceptable. And I think that that is such a hugely important lesson, Mm -hmm. especially for kids reading this. So, all right. Um, I have a feeling we're going to get emotional throughout this whole conversation. So let's kick things off as the way we usually do. So I'll start with the back of the book description. Then Kate, you can lead us into what actually happens and and then we'll go with some of the big ideas we've already been discussing. Sounds good. All right. So uh, maybe not quite as dramatic as I usually read these, (laughs) but... Claudia has a sad goodbye to make. Her grandmother Mimi has just died. Claudia understands that Mimi was sick for a long time, but she's still mad at her grandmother for leaving her. Who will help Claudia with her homework and share her special tea with her? To keep from thinking about Mimi, Claudia spends all her free time painting and babysitting. She's even teaching an art class for some of the kids in the neighborhood. Claudia knows she has to let go of Mimi sometimes. But how do you say goodbye to a special friend forever. Oof. I mean, even just reading that, I'm like, yeah, mm. it's, oh, yeah, the, it's rough. <laughs> and very, again, sort of straightforward. I mean, I'm yeah. glad that they didn't go the ultra dramatic route of the back of the book that they sometimes do. This is a very sort of somber book. And I'm glad that they sort of kept with that on the back of the book. There's not a bunch of exclamation points and italicized words or anything. It's just, right. This is what happens. Speaking of what happens, why don't you tell us what um, the actual plot of, of the book is? Take us through the, the high points and the, the low points, as it were. <laughs> okay. So the Claudia-specific plot. Well, we finally reached the book we've been dreading since the beginning. Obviously, the eponymous sad goodbye is related to Mimi passing away. Over the first few chapters, Mimi has some fainting spells and trips to the hospital, where the doctors aren't able to figure anything specific out beyond... Mimi's issues being blood-related and temporarily resolved with a blood transfusion. Claudia talks with Mimi the night before Mimi is supposed to come home and thinks Mimi has recovered and is back to normal, but she passes away in her sleep that night. Claudia goes through the various stages of grief and has some dark times, including feeling like she has to force herself to cry at the funeral, blaming herself for making Mimi feel like a burden, and being angry at Mimi for leaving them. The Kishis eventually end the book in a better place about Mimi's passing, as they realize and acknowledge that she was sicker than they realized, but that Mimi knew she'd be leaving them soon. And Claudia is starting to come to terms with everything and feeling like Mimi will always be with her, smiling down on her. In addition to everything related to Mimi, Claudia also gets very close with a new babysitting charge, Corey Addison, whose parents are total shitheads who force their kids into activities to get more time to themselves when Claudia starts a weekly art class for a few kids in the neighborhood. It's somehow even worse than Mrs. Barrett was initially, but Claudia stands up to Mrs. Addison and helps her start to see the error of her and her husband's ways. Babysitter's Club generally... It's another book where the BSC takes a backseat to the main action, where both the main and subplots are Claudia-specific. The girls do what they can to support Claudia, including reminiscing about happy Mimi stories the night before the funeral, and trying to help Claudia come to terms with what's happened and her emotions surrounding it. <sighs> yeah. I mean, obviously, the big idea here is is loss and grief. 
Um, and we've already talked a, a little bit about our own experiences with that. But uh, for you, um, had you lost a grandparent or really anyone significant before reading this book as a kid? Do you know? Do you remember? I am certain that I did not. I was lucky enough to have um, all of my grandparents until I was in law school. So, oh, wow, yeah. And I, I mean, I had, I had had a friend who passed away, I think, when I was in, like, fifth grade. But that was really the only significant experience with someone I cared about dying. And so – and I, I hadn't been friends with her for – I think she was she was in my Girl Scout troop and she was in my class in fifth grade. And, like, we were good friends, but, like, we hadn't – it's not like we had grown up together. We had sort of become friends, like, that year. So I was close to gotcha. her, but it wasn't – it wasn't like someone I had known my entire life had, had died. So I think um, I definitely – reading this book probably helped me in the future. I mean, obviously by the time my family members started passing away, I was an adult, but like, I think this sort of, this book definitely helped sort of lay the foundation for understanding that everyone handles loss and processes grief in different ways. And I think that sort of knowing that from this book was definitely helpful. And I think it also, this is sort of a tangent to a certain degree, but my mom is also like a certified grief counselor. So I always knew whenever anything like this or that would cause grief would happen, she was always, I mean, my mom was always there for me anyway, but like she had that extra layer of like (laughs) experience and training to like really know how to address things like that. So I think I've been exceedingly lucky in dealing with grief throughout my life with the like sort of support networks that I have and also the sort of foundation coming from reading this book and just like understanding that and internalizing it, which has been nice to realize <laughs> looking back. Right. Um, I I was thinking about it too. I had definitely this read this before I had processed any significant loss in my own life. Um, and, and, it definitely loomed large in my brain. Like there are specific parts of this that I remember, for example, it was, I was 17 um, when my grandpa died very suddenly um, and unexpectedly. And it was a very tough time for my whole family. And I I vividly remember um, there's the scene in this book where Claudia wakes up and realizes something is wrong and hears her parents talking and just instinctually knows that something is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember very much having that feeling when um, we got the call about my grandpa. And I I remember weirdly connecting it to this book and being like, huh, that is how that happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was uh that was something that really came back to me big time when I was when I was reading this one. Um the other thing that I was thinking about, did you ever read any of the like Lurleen McDaniels books or the like Too Young to Die, 16 and Dying, those books? Were you? Yes, 100%. I read probably all of them. (laughs) I was obsessed with them. And they, and they do, I think, well, I don't know. Actually, it'd be pretty interesting probably to go back and and read some of those now from an adult Mm -hmm. perspective. But I remember even the death part feeling, being very much like thinking of it as romantic or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, tragic in a way that didn't feel real. And I think that that's why I could read those so voraciously, because this one just felt too, too real. At the time, I remember thinking of that as a negative. And now I I, I can't help but be in awe of how, of how real and um, honest and really thoughtful it is about death and grief in a way that never talks down um, mm-hmm. in the way that some of the the lessons can get a little, we joke about the, you know, the Danny Tanner moment. Um, and there, there's sort of a Danny Tanner moment at the end of this one, but it doesn't feel as cheesy as those mm-hmm. sometimes do when Claudia and her family get together and Claudia really starts to pour out some of the things that she's been feeling. Like Kate, like you talked about her numbness, her, her guilt, her um, anger at, at Mimi leaving them um, all, you know, really completely natural emotions and, and having that conversation with her family where they reassured her that all of those things were okay, felt far more grounded. Um, and I, I think that that was, uh, just such a gift. So I, I really can't say enough about how much and how important this book is for kids. I really wish that this was like required reading somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because I think that there are so many kids who would really get something out of seeing this whole experience. And I, I think that there are so many nice, uh, small moments and big moments throughout it. Even, you know, the seeing of Mimi on the hospital and the discussion of um, being angry at the doctors for not really, you know, being able to fix things. And um, that, especially right now, really resonated with me because one of the things that's been really difficult with my grandma is she keeps, uh, especially with the dementia, keep she keeps thinking she's going to get better. So she keeps telling that, you know, getting angry with the doctors of why aren't they fixing me? Why why am I not better? Mm-hmm. And all of us, including her, having to go through the process of of really reconciling for ourselves that there there is no getting better. Um, mm-hmm. And and that is, I, I think, one of the the more subtly powerful things that this book does is coming to to recognize that as well, that this is, I think, unique in that it is a, um, not slow, but inevitable maybe is the right word. Like we know what's coming. Even Claudia, as much as she doesn't want to see it, really knows what's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that that's really special too. Lots of thoughts and emotions to process through all of this. Mm Well, I guess I just wanted to go back real quick. The Lurley and McDaniel reference that you made, I I mean, yes, 100% read all of those. I feel like the reason why that series, I guess it's not really a series, just it is a series, but it's not not a series in the way that the Babysitter's Club is. But I feel like reading those books – it it is easy for it to feel like the the dying part is romanticized because it's always like the very end of the book like the mm-hmm. the character that's dying has this one last you know emotional experience or love story before they die and then it's you don't see the aftermath it's you know like in every romantic comedy it ends with the the two leads finally kissing and you don't see what happens next whereas here you know Mimi dies in chapter 7 i think or the very yeah. beginning of chapter 8 so it's it's only halfway through the book and then we get you know eight more chapters of Claudia sort of processing this and going through all of the experiences that come following the death of of a loved one and so i think that it it definitely goes a lot further in like you said making making it feel real which i think helps the reader sort of understand better or start to think about what it might mean if someone close to them died without it being it's not like you necessarily have to sort of immediately apply it to your own life but like we've been sort of talking about it gives you that sort of foundation of what happens that it's Mm -hmm. okay to feel however you feel and i think that this book, I definitely hard agree. This should be required reading for kids because it really does help teach a lot, a lot more than those Lurley and McDaniel books do, for sure. And I don't think that I've come across anything else, at least nothing that's like coming to mind that I read as a kid that gave quite as much insight into the internal feelings that you may or may not be experiencing when someone you love dies. I I think you're exactly spot on. And I never really thought about it that way because those books deal with the dying, but not the grief that comes mm-hmm. after. Um, and, and they're also sort of glossy and romanticized in, in other ways too. I remember like, um, you know, it, it paints a very um, sanitized picture of cancer. You know, mm-hmm. the big things I always think about is what somebody was bruising more easily and then... <laughs> Like many kids that age, I don't know about you, but every like unexplained bruise I had, I was like, oh my God, it's leukemia. (laughs) Yes, Um, definitely. Because I I still bruise very easily. So I, I, yes, that was always a big fear of mine as a child. (laughs) And it is legitimately still something that pops into my brain every time I get an unexplained bruise. And I bruise very easily too. And have a giant dog who likes to ram his head into me. So I (laughs) often have um, unexplained bruises. And then I not with the same like fear that I did as a kid, but it's still mm-hmm. sort I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's leukemia more as a joke than anything else. But um, I just remember it was a lot of, you know, people dying very prettily, mm-hmm. um, you know, very love story-esque where uh, what's her face? Uh, why can't I think of her name? Allie McGraw, you know, yeah. like looks so beautiful on her, on her deathbed. And, and that's, uh, one of the things that this book captures really well is not only how hard that is for Claudia, but we can see Mimi struggling with this too mm-hmm. and her frustration and her um, 
it's not pretty. There's nothing pretty about um, getting old, about about dying, about your body failing you, whether you're old or young or whether it's disease or just time. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, I don't know. We have, I, I think it's a very Western idealized version of death where there's some sort of like quiet dignity in, in, in dying. And I, I think that does people a disservice because it, it wants to make things easier, I guess, prettier, mm-hmm. less, less ugly to look at. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that's fair because when you're in it, it doesn't feel pretty or easy or tragically romantic it feels ugly and hard and messy and i think this book captures that really really beautifully in a way that that's not too intense like i think mm-hmm. one of the things that we're making it sound very intense because we're we're bringing a lot of our our own personal emotion to it our you know many more years of experience to it but i think one of the other miracles of this book is that it really does manage to keep it at a level of where it's very realistic, it's very frank and, um, you know, like you said, not glossy, but mm-hmm. also not overly um, intense, I guess is the right word, maybe, mm-hmm. um, so that the kids reading it can process it, even as acknowledging, as we have many times in the past, that while the characters in the book are 13, the actual and typical readers for this book are anywhere probably between five to 15. So there could be a pretty wide range of, of, of readers in there, um, of people, I, I, not readers like us coming back to it, but the people experiencing it for the first time. And I think it does a good job of, of speaking to, to kids at that level, like I said, without speaking down. One thing I really loved about this book is the way that the characters in multiple different situations, pay tribute to Mimi and her Mm -hmm. memory. And I think that that is also something that this book does really well as another sort of teachable moment way to sort of give people the lesson that like, just because someone is gone, you can feel sad, you can feel angry, you can feel numb, but you, it might also help to be with other people that love that person. Maybe not the same way that you did, but they, they feel very strongly about that person too. And remember the good things. Like one of my favorite scenes in this book is the night before Mimi's funeral. All of the babysitters club is at Claudia's house. I think they're having, you know, sort of like a wake. They don't really call it that, but there's a lot of people at the house and the girls all, you know, they take some snacks and go into the den and they just tell stories about Mimi. And, you know, one of the stories is the time that they were, uh, Claudia and Christy and Marianne were going with, uh, Claudia's family to a, a real Japanese m- meal for Claudia's birthday and they get there and the restaurant's closed so they end up at this like dive pizza restaurant Mimi's dressed head to toe in a kimono and the sandals and you know the socks with the you know with the split between the toes so she can put her sandals on and and so everyone in this dive pizza restaurant is you know staring at Mimi and being like what is going on here and you know they eat this terrible pizza and as they leave Mimi turns around and says to the entire restaurant like the best Japanese food I've ever had (laughs) and you know they they tell all these stories and they're all having a great time and they're celebrating Mimi in such a beautiful way. And they never actually sort of call it out as like, we're celebrating Mimi. It just, it just sort of happens. And it's so beautiful that these girls are all there for Claudia, but they're all there for each other because they all in different ways, obviously, you know, Jesse didn't necessarily know Mimi as well as Marianne, but Jesse knew her and she cared about her. And so they all get to share these memories together. And I, I just really, really loved that in particular. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. That was actually my favorite part of the book as well. Uh, because one of my most cherished memories is after uh, one of my uncles passed, we all went back to the house um, for the wake and uh, long into the night, just uh, sat around and telling Johnny stories. Cause he was, Oh, he was a character and there are a mm-hmm. million of them. And there were so many stories that were told that I knew so many stories were told that I didn't. Um, and it just was such a beautiful tribute to his life and not his death. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this scene captured that so, so powerfully, so beautifully and, and really let, um, it, all of the people. And I think that that was one of the, the little miracles of it. As you mentioned, you know, Jesse and Mallory not being as close in this way, they got to know Mimi even in, in a better way and really, 
share in that moment with the people that they cared about by being brought into it. And I thought mm-hmm. that, that that was such a beautiful moment as well. Um, I briefly mentioned at the top that, you know, it also gets into a little bit about um, how other people process grief. So we, you know, we've talked a lot about Claudia and how this was very intense for her as this was her special person. And we mentioned, you know, Marianne and, and Mallory and Jesse, but I want to take a little bit of time and talk about how as as the bonds, I guess, go get a little bit looser. So the girls in the club, so Marianne to Christy to Mallory and Jesse, and then to our some of our favorite reoccurrings, you know, Ashley Wyeth, Dory and Wallingford, both, um, although it's just Dory now. Did you notice that they dropped the yeah, A? Yeah, it was very weird. I, maybe Dorianne seems too like old fashioned, but <laughs> they're like, eh, maybe I made the wrong choice with that. Let's give her a nickname. Yeah. Um, but how the the kids at school processed it as well and or in in the case of the kids at school didn't process it and both in terms of i it gives claudia a really nice moment to acknowledge that uh, while at first she's very very hurt by the fact that the kids at school are sort of seem to be like freezing her out or giving her these weird impersonal cards that are very you know hallmark flowery your, may your soul, may her soul lift to the heavens or, you know, stuff like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but mm-hmm. um, Claudia has a really neat moment where she acknowledges that she goes, yeah, if it was one of their grandmas or, or someone close to them, um, I, I, that's probably what I would have to do too, because especially at that age, you don't really know what to say to someone. And I mean, especially at that age, are, who are you kidding? Now we, as human beings struggle to um, know how to appropriately comfort someone in grief, uh, not the least of which because everybody processes their grief differently. So everybody mm-hmm. wants and needs different things. And if you're not terribly close with them, you may not know what that is. And it, so it's a, it's I love that it lets us glimpse into the way that that grief and death is uncomfortable and difficult for everybody, even people who were not have no connection or very, very tangential connection to um, to the people that, that actually died or the family. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think um, I the first day that Claudia goes back to school and she has this realization, when she gets to lunch, she short, sort of unloads on the rest of the Babysitter's Club. Like, everybody's acting weird. No one's talking to me. Or they're saying just like, you know, vague platitudes. And Dawn, as always, is sort of like the voice of reason and says, um, maybe the kids just don't know what to say. They do know how close you and Mimi were. It's almost as if one of your parents had died. Maybe they think anything they say won't be enough or that it will sound stupid. And like, yep, Mm -hmm. exactly. And it's, again, it's great to have that teachable moment here too, that it's okay if someone you know has someone die and you don't know what to say. Like, I, I really appreciate I mean, that's obviously not the main crux of this book, but I think having that moment of Dawn sort of acknowledging that other people don't necessarily know what to say to Claudia, that means that if I have someone that I know whose grandparent dies and I don't know what to say, that's okay too. And I think that that was really nice for them to have here as well. In addition, I can't remember exactly who said it or when it came in. I'm trying to look through my my highlights. But they acknowledge that some of that discomfort from other people is also fear-based. That, you know, they don't want to – if they have to think too much about you losing someone that close to them, then that, that conjures up their own – you know, I've, I've mentioned my grandma a couple of times. I've mentioned other people I've lost. It, it, you can't help but – think about how you would react if it was you, how you have reacted to you in the past. And there is, um, for some people, they just can't handle other people's grief because it it brings up too much fear and their own grief. And I think that that's important to acknowledge as well, that, you know, it's okay to say, I can't really be there for someone else because I, I need to be there for myself in a way. And just really let, let's, uh, it's it's really just so special about how many different aspects of of grief and grieving they really uh, allow to to explore in this book. I mean, kind of really the only part of that process that that doesn't really get touched on because of the way in which Mimi died, and that it was you know slow. They they 
it wasn't completely unexpected. They, it's also sort of, you know, a grandparent sort of following the natural order of things, which just feels awful and weird to say, but true. It, the only thing it doesn't really get into is, you know, how you would deal with a more, um, quote unquote, tragic death or like an unexpected or sudden, um, and uh, which is not a criticism at all. I, I just something to acknowledge that, um, it's not like a perfect handbook for every situation, right? Uh, but I, but I think that a lot of the the lessons really can be applied, even if it is, you know, not um, a more. Uh, if even if your experience is not quite the same as Claudia's, um, I think a lot of the lessons still really, really apply there. Yeah, definitely agree on that. There was really. Um, some beautiful space for Marianne in here to acknowledge that, you know, she and Mimi also had a very special relationship that um, how difficult it was for her, especially around Mimi being sort of a surrogate mom to her in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. even more so than like uh, talking about her crying and things. There's an acknowledgement by Christy at one point. It, I think it is the, the, the day that they all take the pizza and go share Mimi stories. Um, at Marianne's that Christy acknowledges that she thinks it might be very lonely to be Marianne sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that that was a really lovely acknowledgement and another really insightful moment that when we're, when you're in grief, when you're thinking about um, people that you care about that, that are no longer there, that that can be a really lonely feeling and that can be compounded by, by other things in your life as well. So I thought that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really nice moment as well. Okay, so do we have any other grief-related things? Because we definitely need to talk about the Addisons. And I yes. feel like <laughs> I mean, this is a really going to maybe be a – it's going to be depressing and then like angry. Whiplash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I feel I, – that's why I want to make sure we've touched on all the grief things because we're obviously going to do a little bit of a left turn here <laughs> into the subplot. You know what's so funny is um no I'm fully ready to uh, left turn um after some some really intense deep thoughts there and at the same time um I think it's fascinating because while I definitely had some anger towards the Addisons you clearly had a much stronger anger reaction mm-hmm. where I whereas I um and I don't know where this was coming from and maybe it's just the amount of therapy I've been in lately, but I was really trying to make some space for them as well and try to, I, I don't know, I, I think I didn't automatically assume that they were complete shitheads. I, I would try to be like, well, you know, I wonder if maybe the, the some of the stuff that they're dropping off is because what if the parents are like in marriage counseling or what if there's, you know, but it's like every day and like all Saturday long, like I, I would give them some space for like, we got to make sure we have like our kids in the same, like lessons at the exact same time so that we have that hour or two at the same time that we can do marriage counseling. But it's like, they're both in, I guess we should back up a little bit. I, cause I didn't yeah. say necessarily in the, the summary. So the Addisons are, um, a new family to us in the babysitters club universe, but they are not necessarily completely brand new to the babysitters. I think Dawn has babysat for them a couple of times, but basically this family, they have two kids, Corey and Sean. Um, Corey's a girl, Sean's a boy, and they are in, Every single lesson you can imagine, regardless of whether or not these kids actually like the activity, like Sean's taking tuba lessons and Corey's doing ballet and now she's doing this art class. And like, I don't have the laundry list of everything, but like they have multiple things. And then there's one day towards the end, and this is when Claudia finally stands up to Mrs. Addison, where they have gotten a different babysitter to take Corey and Sean to like the ice capades or Disney on ice or something like that for the entire afternoon so that Mr. and Mrs. Addison can have some time to themselves, which is after they've already had the morning to themselves because they've let their kids at whatever lessons they're at. So like, I think that's what made me so frustrated was because it was, it's not like it was like, okay, it's just Saturday mornings. They want to have their, you know, parent time alone or have their counseling. If that's the way we're going with it. It's like, every day after school and all day Saturday. And so it's like these parents are acting like they don't even want to know their kids because clearly they don't know their kids because Corey says to Claudia at some point, like, I like taking um, ballet, but I don't like the piano lessons, but and I like your art class. So it's like 
the parents just decided you're going to do all these activities because we want to get you out of the house as opposed to like, you're clearly interested in ballet. Let's get you in some ballet lessons. Like, I think that's, that's what frustrated me the most about them. You know what? You're exactly right. And I, um, I think I, I may have overly made excuses for them. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was, you know, trying to look at at everybody through such a, a compassionate lens in this one. Um, but you're right, especially when you lay it out that way. It it's, I I mean, I definitely have sympathy for, um, for the fact that you know maybe they are in over their head. Maybe they do need you know have marriage counseling or have you know something else that they're maybe maybe it's even just like a dance class for them where they have you know couple time i don't think that in and of itself is a bad thing but you're exactly right that it's that they that they don't take into consideration what their kids want to do that it's all the time not just you know like every saturday or once Mm -hmm. a week or whatever and um and the other thing that you as you were talking i realized uh i didn't give nearly enough consideration to is the flightiness, I guess. It was very um, comparable to Mrs. Barrett in the early days where, you know, there's a time when she's always the first one dropped off. Um, She's always the last one picked up. There was Mm -hmm. a time that Mrs. Um, Addison called and was like, oh, I'm going to be an hour late. And then two hours later, you know, finally shows up. Um, The fact that they don't come to the door that at one point they say that, you know, by the time, Corey was ringing the doorbell. the The car was already, you know, halfway out the driveway, and that mm-hmm. to me did really stand out because, like, you don't even wait for your nine year old kid to get in the house, like, right, exactly. Um, <laughs> so you're right. As as listening to you talk about it, um, thinking about it more as a standalone story versus you know in conjunction with with everything else that's happening. My now I am getting more pissed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, because I think it's like Mrs. Barrett was also very clearly in over her head. But mm. like she wasn't – it wasn't that she was like actively trying to get away from her kids. I mean I guess there were times when she was because she was like, I'm just going to go shopping. But like she she seemed more – like she did actually care about her kids. She just wasn't in the right place to like – pay attention to them or like manage a household by herself. I don't know. I, and I'm still, I feel like I'm still walking back what I said about Mrs. Barrett when we talked about that in Dawn and the Impossible Three and like Mrs. Barrett still sucked yes, <laughs> back in that I book. Agree. So like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like apologize for her, but the way that the Addisons come across is very much more like we had kids cause we had to, but we don't actually want them. So we're going to like get them out of the house as much as possible so we can do whatever we want. And like, I am fully in support of parents having alone time with mm-hmm. each other with by themselves, like a hundred percent. Like you still are a person. You still have your own wants and needs and desires and need to have experiences that are not just mommy and daddy. But like, if that's all you're doing and your kids are just this like afterthought that you need to get rid of so you can do whatever you want, that's the problem. <laughs> that's what I feel like the Addisons are doing. I fully, fully agree. And that uh, so that brings me to my like minor quibble with this book, uh, especially is is the Addison plot line. Um, the, the biggest issue I had with it is exactly sort of what you said about Mrs. Barrett, that yes, she did still fully, fully suck. But it, there was enough space in that book. Dawn's experiences with her gave us a little bit more insight to why this was happening, what, what Mrs. Barrett's issues were, the fact that she's, you know, very young with three very young children, the single parent, the fact that it's clearly not a um, comfortable divorce. Um, it's that she has her own, just at her personality is sort of flighty, which uh, at the time, um, you know, that was done to sort of contrast with Dawn's mom and her flightiness. Whereas in this book, because the the Addisons are very much, that whole plot line is very much an afterthought, um, as it should be. Like, I'm not saying that they should have devoted more time to <laughs> right. Claudia and her relationship with the Addisons. But I think that this is an area where, and, and this is something that I have um, commented on before, that this the need for a B-plot sometimes... Um, to stick to that formula, it feels a little forced. And this was a mm-hmm. way that it did because we 
we don't know anything about them. There, Claudia really only has that one conversation with two conversations with Mrs. Addison. The one where she's like, oh, I'm waiting on the jeweler and the laundry person and I'm going to, you know, be an hour late and then shows up two mm-hmm. hours later. And then when she gives her the dressing down. And I thought the dressing down was, um, that's where I was like, okay, we've sort of crossed the line here that, I, like, I can believe that a 13-year-old would, especially these 13-year-olds, would believe that they know enough to, like, mm-hmm. address a parent like that. But that the parent would sit there, absorb that, listen to it, and be like, oh, my gosh, you're so right, in the that moment felt right, a in the moment unrealistic to me. I, I And not just be like, excuse me, who the hell do you think you are? Shut the <laughs> fuck up, kid. Like, <laughs> right. It, which – uh, obviously was not going to happen in this book, but I, I thought that that did sort of cross a line into a little unrealistic and not not dangerous, but also not really a lesson that I, we want to be giving kids, I don't right. think. Like, it's not really your place to to sit down. And even like the, the, the difference with the Dawn and having the conversation with Mrs. Barrett is she had developed a relationship with Mrs. Barrett. Yeah. And she also talked to her mom about how to talk to her. And like it was given much more consideration and it was far less like finger waggy. And I don't know if maybe I'm misremembering that, but this just felt um, – and I think that that's why I got frustrated and maybe was looking at excuses for the Addisons because we don't know anything about them. We don't know – they could have completely valid reasons for, for what's going on. Maybe they've got – you know, um, a sick parent or they're that they're constantly like taking to a hospital or maybe one of them has health issues and they don't want to worry the kids or I, you know, there's so many things that, that we don't know that it, that that's why I was frustrated that I wish, um, as is, is my usual complaint with these B plots when they're good, especially like this one, I wish it had had more space, um, to be explored, Mm -hmm. but that would have, required it being a part of a different book the upside to the addison plot is uh, the relationship with Corey and claudia is handled really beautifully um i love the fact that claudia gets her own kid that is sort of hers the way that christy has jackie and stacy has charlotte and that they acknowledge uh but once again, my girl Christy it can be a total pain, but every once in a while she comes through with the insights. I thought this was a pretty good Christy book for that. But, you know, really saying that be careful with this relationship with Corey because she's clearly seeing that Corey is getting some hero worship and getting really attached to Claudia. And she didn't want Claudia in her grief to um, overly attached to Corey in an unhealthy way or Mm -hmm. like subscribe some special meaning to that relationship. Um, I want to be clear. Christy's not like back off. You shouldn't have a special relationship with a kid, but like, but she is definitely saying, you know, you're filling a hole for Corey and Corey's mm-hmm. clearly filling a hole for you. And you have had this, you know, emotional experience in the immediate past. And you're going to start feeling better, but like Corey's still going to want to be close with you. So like, don't, don't like essentially use her to fill the Mimi hole. And then once you're feeling better, you don't need Corey anymore. Like, yes, which is like, good job, Christy. Cause like, that's a hundred percent something that, you know, a 13 year old, even a thoughtful 13 year old, like Claudia might not necessarily realize that she's doing. And mm-hmm. that could really impact this kid that they babysit. And again, a good lesson for people to sort of internalize for themselves. Like, you know, obviously relationships come and go, people fill different spots. I'm, I didn't want to say whole again, because it's sort yeah. of not exactly what I meant. But like, people fill different roles in your life, they might be your in your life for your entire life, they might be in your life for a month. And mm-hmm. like, that's okay. But you need to sort of be cognizant of like, that you go that both people are sort of like on the same page as to what that relationship should be like if this if if Corey was only you know important to Claudia for a month but Claudia is important to Corey for years that's obviously a huge disconnect and would be a huge issue but like as long as Claudia is like aware that how of how important she is to Corey and sort of reciprocates i think that's what people need to sort of take away from this is like make sure that the relationship is a two-way street and you're both sort of there for each other in the same way and getting and giving what both of you needs. Absolutely. And I, that really is, um, I think, you know, 
I know we said we were going to hard left turn from our grief talk, but I think that that's a really um, important thing to acknowledge too when you're going through grief is that like you may look to certain things to try to fill that hole that that's left behind by that person. And whether it's whether that's healthy or not, there are definitely things that people do that are healthy and definitely things that people can do are unhealthy. And I think that this is a perfect uh, you know, like, obviously, they're not going to talk about Claudia turning to drugs or alcohol um, to, you know, suppress her grief or, or run away from her grief or fill up that space because they're 13. And this is obviously not that mm-hmm. kind of series. So I thought that that was a really appropriate way of acknowledging that sometimes um, the things that we do post, not even just like death, but whenever we're in emotional turmoil of some kind, that that there are, um, there can be, while that it, it's completely valid to feel whatever you're feeling, there can be some unhealthy coping mechanisms that people take um, as well. And mm-hmm. that, um, that to be aware of that. And I, I mean, really subtle, I certainly didn't pick up on that as a kid. But as a as an adult, I really appreciate that uh, perspective as well. And I thought you said that really beautifully about how, uh, about how Corey took that position in, in for Claudia. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was, that was really, really nice. I thought the art classes were really cool too. I thought it was really neat that, uh, we got to spend some time really leaning into what, what Claudia does well. I thought that was speaking of coping mechanisms, a great mm-hmm. coping mechanism for her to have something that she's passionate about, something that she cares about, combined art and babysitting and both of those things are things that especially um that she shared especially closely with Mimi Mimi as she repeatedly says throughout the series but especially in this book reiterates that that Mimi was the only one who really understood what art meant to her so mm-hmm. i think that that was that's an example of a fantastic coping mechanism of using something that helps you that is so important to you that also helps you feel closer to that person Um, culminating in uh, the beautiful collage that Claudia makes in honor of Mimi. And she shares it uh, with her with the first with the babysitters club and then with her family. And I I thought that that was such a cool thing on a couple of levels. Um, One, I really liked the acknowledgement that when you make something that personal, that means so much to you, it can feel scary to share that with other people. Mm -hmm. Like even this podcast, there are, you know, especially as we've gone on and I've started to feel more comfortable and we've really started to build a relationship with you, our listeners. I I feel more comfortable sharing certain things. And yet I, it still feels weird to like tell someone super close to me, Hey, you should listen to my podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it does feel so personal to me. So I I really liked that, that they acknowledged that that can be very scary, but I thought it was also really beautiful that it, I think it was sort of a final gift of Mimi's that Claudia being able to use her art for that kind of tribute, I think, unlocked something for her family to understand how how important art is to Claudia, how meaningful it is to her, um, and how really good she is at it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was a really nice little little touch as well. Yeah, I really appreciated um you know, Claudia describing what the collage is and all of her thought that went into it and why it looks the way that it does and the different pieces that she's included. And then, you know, like you said, her showing it to the Babysitter's Club and to her family and, you know, getting to see that reaction from both of those groups. You know, Marianne immediately bursts into tears because she loves it so much and she feels so much emotion about Mimi and, you know, the Claudia's family saying we should hang this, you know, on the mantle because we want to be able to see this and remember Mimi every day. And, you know, deciding instead to put it in Mimi's old bedroom. So it feels like she's always in that room. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's really nice because as much as we read these books and, you know, Claudia says, I like art, I'm good at art. Like, it's nice to see, other people's reactions you know it's more of a show don't tell and I I really love that you know all of the important people in Claudia's life are able to sort of acknowledge the emotion that she's put into this work and the way that it makes them feel and I think that is really powerful and I think it also again you know this book in particular it feels like we have a lot of like modeling behavior and like teachable moments like that is also a teachable moment like when someone shares something that they've made like and it makes you feel things like 
tell that person, you know, mm-hmm. make make it clear to that person how much you appreciate that they shared that with you and how, what it makes you feel. If it if it makes you sad, burst into tears like Marianne. If it makes you feel happy that you get to remember this person that you loved and you want to be able to see it every day, tell the person who made the art. Like it, it's just. I just, I, I, this book was so great. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I know. Said I can't it say it enough. It's it just, there's so, so much. And like you said, there's a, a few quibbles here and there, but it, it really is just a wonderful book. And it is, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just, I, I'm sad that I was in such a weird emotional place reading it, but I'm also glad because it gave me a little bit more of an opportunity to be more objective about it, which is maybe not always what I do when I'm reading Babysitter's Club books, especially the ones with sort of big moments like this. But, um, you know, even with everything that I'm still feeling about everything going on in the world, I'm, I'm really appreciative that I was in the right place to read this book in a different way than I have in the past. Agreed. As as difficult it, as it was for me, like I said, I had to set it down a number of times because I literally just started sobbing. I, on the flip side, and I, I think that's one of the the small miracles of having this podcast with you, speaking of, of mm-hmm. small things like that, is that we did get to approach it from different ends of the spectrum and, and then come together in in conversation and really explore it together in that way. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been a a different conversation if if we had both been either really emotional about it or both been really numb. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was, I'm going to get all sappy, but this is, I feel like an appropriately sappy book that, you know, this is, is so special to me to, to Mm -hmm. have these conversations with you, to, to share it with, with our fabulous listeners. Um, We're, I'm just so excited to be back. I, the mm-hmm. break was, let's be real. The break was very needed. 2020 was a dumpster fire and 2021 got, <laughs> has, an, has not been off to an auspicious start. <laughs> but having having this, having the girls, having Generation BSC is uh, a really one of those special things like Claudia's art that, mm-hmm. that really is such an important uh, piece of, of, of my life. So, okay. Oof, sappy moment over. <laughs> Before we move on to random thoughts, or I guess this is kind of a random thought, I I do want to mention we haven't really talked about Claudia's family too too much. Um, we mentioned you know her mom and dad a little bit here and there, but even even still, we don't really know too much about her parents in this book. It doesn't focus too much on them. We do learn that she has an aunt Peaches who is her mom's sister and. An uncle Russ, who is, they say, very, very American, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that that, you know, as, as much as we and will continue to do so point out some of the not so great ways they deal with race in this. I thought that that was a nice little glimpse into, you know, a very traditional Asian family. And and then that other, you know, the glimpse of, of Russ and Peaches uh, was was very was very sweet. But especially I wanted to focus on our girl Janine, who um, I just love more and more as these books go on, which is is been one of my favorite parts about revisiting them, because she's definitely not someone I gave a lot of thought to as a kid, mm-hmm. other than to just be sort of annoyed by her. And I thought that this book did a really nice job of highlighting how uh, grief and um, or even just profound experiences can really bring families together in certain ways. Um, but it's not like a magic cure-all <laughs> that there is mm-hmm. no like, it, it's not like all of a sudden Claudia and Janine will never fight again, but they were able to turn to each other in those moments. And at the end, when we, um, what leading up to Claudia's big meltdown for the um, non-Danny Tanner moment, if you will, is the fact that Janine's the one who goes into Mimi's room and starts thinking about, you know, what comes next. And mm-hmm. Claudia is very angry at that. But I love that we have a chance to see that even in the same family, even in the same technical relationship, you know, grandmother to granddaughter, that Janine is processing things in a different way. And what she needs is to be around Mimi's things. Mm-hmm. Whereas Claudia's reaction has been to, you know, hide her picture of Mimi because she doesn't want to think about it. She wants to push it down and avoid as much as possible. And so I thought it was really, it was really neat that we got uh, some, some really nice glimpses into Janine and, and their relationship. Yeah. I, I was a little sort of interested or surprised that we didn't get more 
of the interactions among the, the Kishi family, mm-hmm. you know, sort of leading up to Mimi passing and then after she dies, it, it sort of seemed like it, it goes back to, I can't remember which book it was, but, you know, the, the book where Mimi has her stroke and everyone's just sort of like, okay, well, Claudia, you do this and, you know, we're going to go do this. And it, there's not a lot of like familial interaction. And one thing that really sort of surprised me and I didn't like um, when Mimi dies, Claudia and uh, Janine are tasked with calling all the friends yeah. and family to tell them all that that Mimi has died, which is not something I would think a, a 13 and a 15 or 16 year old should be responsible for. You're exactly right. And I like I understand. I, I think I gave that a pass for plot contrivance reasons. Like we needed Claudia to be the one to be making the phone calls to the babysitters club. But mm-hmm. I think that that could have been framed a little differently, like not asking Claudia and Janine to make all the phone calls, but Claude, maybe Claudia saying, I'd like to be the one to tell the babysitters club right. would have been a, a slightly better way to um, approach that. Yeah. It, uh, you're right. That that was one of my minor quibbles with this book is that because again, for plot reasons for the, it, these are the Babysitter's Club books, not the Kishi family books. <laughs> right. That, you know, we're focused on Claudia and her interactions with the club, but it, it is done at the expense of really, like, do we even know what her parents' names are at this point? They mentioned that Peaches has a traditional Japanese name and Russ gave her the nickname Peaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think we know what her parents' names are. Yeah. And we just so, now found out in this book, her mom's the, I think we knew this, but her mom's the head librarian and her at the Stony Brook Public Library and her dad is like an investment banker. And like, that's basically all we really get about her parents here. Like, yeah, we, we know basically nothing about them still. And we, yeah, we really don't get to see, you know, uh, what Mimi's death does for them. Um, and I think that that, obviously, this is a very full book. I think it, it, it could have gone on on a lot longer, but I think that that might have been another really nice uh, modeling moment or teaching opportunity to talk about kids dealing with their grief while also processing their parents' grief. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, they sort of touch on it. She mentions at the funeral that, you know, um, her mom gave the eulogy and she always called her mother or Mimi, which she appreciated. Like, again, I don't think we even know Mimi's real first name. Mm-hmm. And she talks about seeing her dad cry and uh, how uncomfortable it was to see her dad cry because I don't know if I've ever seen that before. And that really stood out to me because I very much had that moment when um, when my grandpa passed. So I thought that that was a nice little little moment to recognize. But I really wish we uh, there there was the time and space to really explore more of the Kishi's processing of it. Hey, maybe that's a fanfic idea. <laughs> Take that as a what's going on as the, in the, the mm-hmm. rest of the family. If I had any desire to write fanfic about this particular book. <laughs> <laughs> that's Those were sort of all my big picture things. Did you have any random thoughts? There was very obviously very little fashion in there, but we do get a, a, a good Claudia description at the start of the book. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, that was the one I had highlighted to mention. Um, you know, when Claudia is going through her descriptions of everyone, there's there's only, you know, the the... <laughs> passing reference to Christie's, you know, generic uniform, which is the same as always. But then describing herself, um, Claudia says this. And I dress on the wild side. Christie's outfits and mine are like night and day. Here's an example. At the moment, I'm wearing lavender plaid cuffed pants with suspenders over a green shirt with buttons down the front, a matching lavender beret, and not just because I'm at my easel, and fleece-lined high-top sneakers, which I must admit are uncomfortably hot, but they look great. Also, I've got an earring, earrings shaped like Christmas tree lights that actually blink on and off. I'm not sure why I chose to wear them since it's nowhere near Christmas, but I love jewelry, like to make my own sometimes, and I have pierced ears. Yep, I loved that. I, that's such a quintessential Claudia outfit. Yep. The beret. I loved that they acknowledged that. Yeah, fashion is sometimes uncomfortable, but it looks good. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I thought that was that was really really cool. Honestly, I didn't really have any other random thoughts. Everything in this was so tied to the Mimi of it all that there was very little happening on the the fringes. We talked about the art class. I, I did like that the kids made a little tribute to Mimi as well. I mm-hmm. thought that was really sweet, but that was, yeah, I don't really have any other random thoughts. Do you? Yeah. My only other random thought is two slightly problematic things. When Claudia is describing herself, she doesn't call herself exotic at least, but she does mention her almond shaped eyes. Mm-hmm. So wanted yep, to call that out since we said we were going to keep an eye on that. And then also, um, 
there's sort of a, a few references to the fact that um, Christie's grandmother has moved in with the Thomas Brewer family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to sort of throw that out there because I, I know that comes back and she'll be, you know, sort of more integrated into the plots going forward, especially in Christie books. So Nanny moved in instead of them getting a housekeeper, basically. But one thing that Christie mentions is that Emily Michelle is learning to speak very in- speak English very quickly and says this. I'm not sure how much Vietnamese she could speak, but she's sure learning learning English fast. And it's like and we yeah. had sort of talked about this in I think it was the last book when when they adopt Emily Michelle, or right? the one before the super special. I mean, not the last last book. The last non super special book. <laughs> um but the fact that, you know, Emily Michelle is it's not like she's a newborn baby. Like she she learned Vietnamese to a certain degree for sure. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit disappointing that no one, it, at least they have not actually said, and I would imagine that this is not the case, like no one in their family attempted to learn any kind of Vietnamese to try to communicate with Emily Michelle. It was just sort of like, okay, you're getting assimilated, like you're American now, start learning English. And it's not a good yeah. look. <laughs> Emily's Vietnamese heritage is very, like, a detail and as an afterthought it is mm-hmm. absolutely not acknowledged or addressed in any way and and we we've, we've mentioned that a number of times about Claudia's Japanese heritage as well that it's it is almost a like it's it's clearly a descriptor obvious sometimes as we will continue to point out a problematic descriptor but it's not really they don't really um explore that at all it's mm-hmm. not like this is the, i think the most they've ever talked about her japanese heritage was you know having mimi in traditional garb going for a, 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 attempting to go for a traditional japanese dinner and and that is you know as as always a missed opportunity but the the emily michelle part definitely feels very icky Mm-hmm. E- even the way that they talked about Nanny moving in because they don't want a stranger living in the house and, and Claudia or Christy thinking that, you know, the downside was if she had a housekeeper, they would make her bed. And like, right. boy, clearly they've adjusted to being millionaires pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. So, and at the same time, I as I can see as a kid, I can concede that if I, you know, thought I was going to have a housekeeper to move in and do my chores for me, that would have been a like... Oh, I I could be excited about that. So, <laughs> right, but definitely definitely not a uh, what I would call a relatable life experience. So, right, yes, <laughs> most of us don't live in mansions with any kind of housekeeper related to us or not. Yeah. Oh, there was one one random thing I just thought of uh, that I want to call out. There has been there was some increased foreshadowing in this one about the upcoming Spear Schaefer nuptials. They mentioned that a couple of times that their parents go out and then they said that they are increasingly going out and uh, Mrs. Schaefer is no longer seeing Trip Man. So yes, we are we are rapidly approaching stepsister territory. So that's going to be that's going to be fun and something fun to look forward to coming up. Definitely. So I guess that just leaves us with predictions for Jesse and the Super Brat, our next book. Any thoughts? I do not remember this one at all. I, I'm, I'm kind of excited now because we've had a couple of different kinds of brats. We've had, you know, the, as Jackie calls them in this book, the very Lynn twins, <laughs> Marilyn and Carolyn. I thought that was <laughs> yeah. really cute because um, they did not like that. It, you know, their brattiness. We ha- also had Betsy Soback, who also gets a, well, an, she doesn't get mentioned by name, but Claudia does call out that, you know, she the last time she was in an ambulance, her leg was very badly broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am going, I'm excited to see what kind of super brat we're in for. So my prediction is going to be it's something that we haven't quite seen, a different kind of brattiness. And, but I, I don't know exactly what that is. So I'm excited. Do you have any predictions or memories on this one? So I don't think I've actually read this book, but I do recall because i've read california girls that super special which i think is four so many times um in that in that super special jesse's subplot is that she is going to visit this child that she used to babysit for in stony brook named derek who's a child actor i'm pretty sure that this is the book where we meet derek the child actor and he's a brat because he's very spoiled and thinks he's this you know megastar and yes so i i think that's this book because i i don't know when else we would meet him and i know that he definitely was in stony brook because jesse references babysitting him when he was in stony brook 
yes, that is ringing all kinds of bells, five alarms going off in my in my head. <laughs> I think that the the super brat in question, I'm not sure if it's him or not, but I very much recall the little bratty boy superstar. Uh, and I re- I do remember him being closely linked with Jesse because as they mentioned in this one, Jesse is, is you know, thinking about her dance career and, and being professional and, and what that means to be a kid. So I think that there's hopefully, um, whether it's this book or another one that we get to explore some of, you know, what it does, would be mean to be a professional artist um, and making money that way while also being a kid. So um, mm-hmm. I, I hope that's the next one now. Yay. I'm like, now, now I'm excited. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Cause I, I don't think that I did I don't if that is this book, I don't think that I read it because I I remember reading California Girls and being like, who's this kid? So clearly I never read the book where we actually meet him. So I'm hoping it's this one too, because I would like to get the, you know, the backstory of of Jesse and this Derek child. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Okay. So I guess any other final club business before we wrap up? Uh, let's just remind everyone that they can find us um, online on the socials, at Instagram, Twitter, at Generation BSC. Um, you can also email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Okay. So I guess with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.